0: Elka, where are you? There you are. Elka Hamilton, would you come up and join me, please? I want to make a a quick announcement. Hey, Matt, which one of these mics could Elka use? Could you grab one for her? Elka Hamilton and her wife, Tara Hoffman, right? I get the H's. Is that right? Other way around. Can't y'all hyphenate? Make it easy. Um, (laughs) Tara is one of our... I've always wondered when two hyphenateds get together, then their kids have four names? Is that the way it goes? It, it could get exponential. But um, Tara is one of our leadership council members. And as we're kind of building out this new staff here at Grace Point, uh, it became obvious that her wife, Elka, had a heart for social action and justice. And I wanted, she's gonna say a bit, but we've got a lot coming up from now to the end of the year in terms of mission and social justice outside the walls of this church. This lady has a heart for that. She's served in churches in this capacity before on a couple of occasions, and so she stepped forward. And so I just wanted to welcome her as the Director of Social Action and Missions at Grace Point. Would you think? Elka?
1: Um, So I really don't have a ton prepared for today, except for to say hi, and we have a lot of love in our heart to give out beyond our walls. And I think it's um, great that we are going forward with doing this. I know there's a lot of people in our congregation that are already doing things, that are already involved with organizations, and we really want to come behind that. So right now, kind of what I want to do is put an announcement out to everyone. to so get in touch with me. I think we're going to get a Grace Point email for yeah. me. Yeah. So it's going to be elka at Yeah. So um, look for that email address. And if you are involved in something, I want to know about it. I want to know how we can come behind, how we can Go forward with that and be looking for an announcement coming very soon about some of the things that we're going to be doing. Um, Very soon in the end of this month, we're going to start doing some stuff with Room at the Inn, Um, and we are already on the ground with Open Table Nashville with our pursuits with helping out with the homeless situation we have here in Nashville and the surrounding communities. So, really be looking for announcements a lot coming from me, Um, because we need to start doing a lot and do more than what we have. We already have been doing great stuff, a lot of stuff that Stan's been leading us in. Um, but.
0: We can always do more. Exactly,
1: exactly. So, hi, I'm here, and um, get in contact with me. I wanna know what you guys are doing.
0: Thank you yeah. one more time for Elka for <laughs> jumping in. Well, let me start something today that I can't possibly finish with something very important. and. Uh, We'll be talking about this for probably the next couple of weeks. So let me just jump in, and and I'll just cut it off um, at the right time, and we'll pick up next week. As the decision was made by our leadership to geographically relocate our congregation, and that's a biggie. As that decision was made, our leadership at the same time gradually... Recognized that beneath and behind that major move was a very significant and, and really unavoidable question. And that was, was our church, Grace Point, after 14 years of life, was our church now being called to give way to and become fertile soil for a completely different church. There are moments, for the words of Jesus, that if a corn of wheat or a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it'll bring forth much fruit. And with our understanding of the Paschal cycle, we are a group of people led by our leader to, at times, embrace death, believing in uh, believing in life that is bigger than death. And so we begin to toy with and honorably ask ourselves that question were we going to become a completely different church interestingly one that would be attended by led by and even pastored by some of the same people who had filled those same capacities in grace point was it time had our church served its mission now was it time for it to give way to something else in other words was our transition to make it practical Was our transition so significant and even drastic that it would merit not only a change of location, but changes as large as a change of name? So we lived for about a year with the sturm and drain of that, the tension and even the turmoil of, of that question and all that attended to it. And ultimately, we peacefully and I think satisfyingly resolved that that extreme of a measure was not warranted. It was not warranted in order for us to do the work that we feel we're called to do. And so we decided that it was right to make the move as Grace Point. With that said, we do believe that Grace Point as a congregation has now experienced, we believe it's experienced something um, that is almost synonymous with the change of name and the change, completely, of uh, the church's identity. We believe that Grace Point, as a congregation, is being called to accept, embrace, and lean into a very significant, good, and meaningful change. If we were a book, if Grace Point were a book, this change would be far more than the turning of a page. If we were a book, this change would be more than even the change of a chapter. Our transition is tantamount to a major section change. Books have thousands, tens of thousands of words, books have dozens of chapters, hundreds of pages, but books have only a few major sections. And over the past few years at Grace Point, we have seen a major section break. We have seen a major section movement and change. And to say the least, it has been challenging, and to say the least, it has been rewarding. Fortunately for us, with the, the blessing, the real blessing and open-heartedness of First Unity Nashville, our new physical location is really a fortuitous thing for us not just in the sense that we have a place to go that's closer to where we wanted to be, but it's fortuitous as a sacrament, almost. The ability to to move physical locations really is is a gift of symbol for us and it represents a really major change. And so I'm grateful now over the next few weeks to, as we've settled in here, this is our sixth Saturday, I almost said Sunday, But as we're here on our sixth Saturday, I'm grateful to now take a little time to articulate what hopefully, and I think you are intuiting, and that is that we are now, with fresh ink and page, we are beginning to write not just the next chapter, but the next section of a really beautiful book that we know is Grace Point. But to understand the beauty of where we are and where we are going, we can never lose sight of where we've been And we should never lose sight of the good and difficult work that this church has accomplished in its first years. The first dozen years of Grace Point, and many of you won't know this, you couldn't know this, but you need to know this. The first dozen years of Grace Point, those years served as a multi-chapter section marked by a very distinct and a very singular mission. And it was a singular and distinct mission that marked our church because it was one that, frankly, aligned with my life as the founding pastor. And when I talk about that original church, it was 13 people gathered in the living room. Frankly, the mission of this church that was singular and distinct, that mission that aligned with my life, was the only mission and the only church that I could have pastored in good faith. The mission of this church was the only mission in an ecclesial church setting that I could have honorably served at that time in my life. Let me explain. I, like a lot of Christians and people of all faiths, but specifically here of Christians, I was reared in a traditional conservative church setting. And I had, by my early 30s, already been in a protracted and ongoing process of what we know as theological deconstruction. uh, Faith disorientation. I had been in a process of deconstruction that had begun slowly in my early 20s, and now here we were starting this church called Grace Point. I was 34 years old, And my theological deconstruction had reached such a fevered pitch that I didn't know what I believed. I did believe that I was beginning to ascertain what I didn't believe. Remember those stages? You don't know what you believe, but you know, you think what you don't believe. And so, there I was with that fevered pitch of deconstruction going on in my own heart and soul, when I, along with a few friends, some of whom were in that same state, looked around and believed that if that kind of thing happened to a preacher like me, Randy, Southern Baptists like you and Pentecostals like if it happens to us, I bet it's happening to a lot of people. And we banked on the fact that I wasn't the only deconstructed Christian in this town called Nashville. And we decided that we were going to build a church for deconstructed people. And that was it. For 12 years, and this is, this is astonishing now as I look back on it, and forever during that time, I always called it an experiment, but when it finally turned out to be just that, an experiment, I was surprised. I don't think I meant it, Steve, until I actually saw that it was true. For 12 years at Grace Point, we literally, how can I say this? For 12 years at Grace Point, we literally had no fixed creed. Except that we believed, if there was a God, that that God, that that God represented in the face of Jesus was lovingly sympathetic to deconstructed people like us. And though religious communities did not do well with deconstruction, it's called a myriad of things, backsliding, reprobation, apostasy, heresy, you know, all those fearful things. Our creed was we believe that God made space for people who were deconstructed. We didn't believe that deconstruction came from hardness of heart. We didn't believe deconstruction came from anything other than a natural part of human progress and evolution. And so we believe that God, if there was a God, would be okay with that. And so our mission, if you wanted our creed, you wanted our doctrine, you, know, you go to some churches and it's we believe this about the Bible, isn't it interesting a lot of Christian churches start with the Bible before God? Go on the websites, it's really interesting. Entire denominations, we believe this about the Bible and second we believe this about God. We didn't have that. Uh, we didn't have position papers on chewing tobacco and uh, alcoholic beverages or dispensationalism. Our mission was to provide a safe place to literally provide a sheltering community for those who simply no longer knew what they believed, period. Beyond that, for our first 12 years, some of you who were here can remember those maddening days because you could not nail me down to what I believed about major theological issues. And some people thought I was being politically evasive. I wasn't. I was being soulishly true. You couldn't pin me down to what I believed about virgin birth and same-sex marriage because, frankly, I didn't know. I wasn't a politician, I was a deconstructing Christian serving as a pastor, and I was very active. I read my head off, I read everything I could get a hold of. I was very active in my deconstruction, and I was very committed to getting to a place of new construction. I mean, who wants to live deconstructing your whole life? Some of you, still in this room. I talk to you frequently, you're still in deconstruction. It's not a fun place to get stuck in. And I continually get the question, will it ever end? When do I come out of this? And so I had it as my goal to get to new construction for sure. And then in 2012, I began to realize first, and our leadership, I notified them and they were seeing the same thing. In 2012, we began to realize that our identity as a veritable deconstruction zone for Christians was going to have to change. This thing that had had my heart personally and vocationally, being a deconstruction zone for disoriented, disenfranchised Christians, that identity was going to have to change. It would no longer be our primary identity. Here's why. We realize that deconstruction as an end in itself, that deconstruction as an ultimate and primary mission for a church was not and actually should not be sustainable. What we had made the primary mission of our church, a safe place for disoriented Christians. What we had made the primary mission of our church, a safe place to be able to say, I don't know. A safe place to be able to not sing the song or let the sacrament go by and say, I'm not sure where I am anymore. A a safe place to fall apart in your faith, a safe place to be reverently agnostic, a safe place to deconstruct. We knew that this thing that had been our primary mission must always be a part of our church's life, mission, and ministry, but it could not be the fixed and final point or the undergirding and overarching reason for our church's existence. Why, you ask? Because that 12-year run, Tamara, was a good run. Why couldn't a church have as its primary mission, ad infinitum, deconstruction? Good question. Here's why. Because healthy humanity, healthy spirituality, whatever you call it, the soul-making journey does not terminate in deconstruction. Deconstruction is absolutely an inescapable part of one's journey but it is not the end goal. As much as we all will always retain a sense of agnosticism and a reverent sense of we don't know everything, and there are vast mysteries that with every unfolding answer, three new questions are provoked. Obviously, we will always have some sense some sense of that. But deconstruction, this perpetual, not ad infinitum, but ad nauseum sense of I don't know what I believe. Though an inescapable part of our life, it is not the end goal. And while all of us will always, in the vast mystery of the universe, retain some element of deconstruction in our souls, the deconstruction that we had built a church on was a cataclysmic loss of faith. And all of the attendant confusion and sadness that a loss of faith can muster. You say, well, that's kind of a a sad thing to build a church on. Not really, because this town is full of fundamentalist, evangelical, conservative, traditional religionists, especially Christians, who are sitting on pews tonight and tomorrow, and they do not have a safe place to admit their questions, the dissonance in their soul. And when we found one another, what made it beautiful was absolutely there should be a safe place to do this, But as we were doing it together, the level of intimacy and care that we developed was really phenomenal because we were all in the same place. And it was a very vulnerable place, and so it led to some really deep relationships. But the reality is deconstruction should ultimately begin to lead, not to reconstruction, because that intimates that we're rebuilding what was. And this isn't about, the spiritual journey isn't about, putting Humpty Dumpty back together and getting back to where we were, it's often about moving on to an entirely new place. Deconstruction is almost like a riptide and if you fight it, it will it will drown you. Sometimes you just got to roll over on your back and let it it ride you out and 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 sometimes you get so far from the coast you don't swim back. Sometimes you go on to a new island. Deconstruction and the vulnerability and the openness that it provokes should always give way to a new faith construction, a new belief system. Just as naive orientation, the inherited faith of our youth. You remember that first faith that we received when we memorized answers that we didn't even know the questions to. It's called orthodoxy, right? Life, we hadn't lived long enough to actually get the complexity and the nuance of the questions, but we memorized the answers, and we had the verses, and we went through our catechisms, both Protestant and Catholic, and our confirmations and our early baptisms, and we gave our heart to Jesus at seven beside our bed. That naive orientation, that inherited belief system, necessarily has to give way to honest disorientation and inquiry. It has to give way to a confused faith. It has to give way to deconstruction. And just as that has to be, so does deconstruction eventually have to give way to new construction, and the mature development of a personal vision of life and God. So after 12 years of making it our primary mission at Grace Point, to foster and nurture deconstruction, our efforts had worked. We looked around and we had an almost $2 million budget. We had over 2,000 people who called Grace Point home. And in that group of a couple of thousand people, seven or eight hundred of them would gather every Sunday, in the safe environment of that first dozen years, in that safe environment laced with forbearance, grace, space, and tolerance, it happened. A lot of our deconstructed folk, myself included, Began to move into new construction. Out of the ashes of the old, a phoenix of a new faith and vision began to develop, and it couldn't have come too soon for me. I had been in earnest in almost a tormenting deconstruction of I don't know what I believe, trying simultaneously to serve as a vocational minister. <laughs> the torture of that, Lord. But now, all of a sudden, out of that safe place, people like myself and that congregation began to construct. And what we began to construct, not surprisingly, was a very progressive, very liberal, very wide-birthed and open and inclusive theology. As a person and a pastor, I, along with hundreds of people in that congregation, was now beginning for the first time in decades to find some measure of clarity on the very issue issues that I for years was able to honestly say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. People, Mary, you and Jody were there in those days. People would say, you know, how do you feel about Mary and Jody? You know, they're part of our church, same-sex couple. And for years I said, you know, we got to leave that has to God. I know I love them, and I don't think the way we used to look at it's right, and you hem and haw a little bit, and it really wasn't political. It's just, I just, I don't know. And then all of a sudden I looked at y'all one day and I thought to myself, I know. I know. I know enough. Everybody always thought Josh and Michael were my first same-sex wedding. They don't know that two years before, I slid out and flew to New York and got out at Strawberry Fields and walked across Central Park and married you and Jody. Shh, don't tell anybody. Because I knew. I knew. And in 2012, with that happening in me, not just, you know, issues of sexuality, but Christology, salvation, who is humanity, what is the afterlife. Again, it's not not some definitive hard legalistic orthodoxy, but I began, David, to develop some sense of this is who Jesus is for me, and he was no longer the mystery man. I began to, I began to get moved again by prayer and songs and sacraments and But I woke up professionally and very quickly realized that I was surrounded by three general groups of people in that large, flourishing, growing church. Three groups of people that were beginning to naturally experience a tension that our church had not known heretofore. The first group was the group I was in. It was a group of people that our new construction was definitively progressive, liberal, spirituality, Christianity. And and not only was, you know, it was just us, but we actually, because we started talking about it, we actually started attracting liberal, progressive types, started coming to the church. But there was another large group, even larger group than us, of still deconstructed folks who wanted the Deconstruction Zone to stay a Deconstruction Zone, right? And if I were in the Deconstruction Zone, that's what I would have wanted. So there was this large group of people who were still looking at Jody and Mary saying, I don't know, can we just stay with the Don't Ask, Don't Tell? And this group of deconstructed folk were frightened by the others of us who had moved on, and they were also inspired by us, they were conflicted, but they just weren't ready. And, and you cannot force another person's process, it was just a reality. Some things aren't good or bad, it's just reality, right? And then there was a third group, and boy, this one was tough. This was a group of folk who now, as my progressive thoughts begin to come through, and my I don't knows begin to be replaced with a sense of conviction, on the definitively liberal side, there was, a, there was a group, it was becoming clear, who loved us and loved our fellowship, and because of relationships and other things were there, but they had actually only been tolerating the idea of our mission of deconstruction. And they had only actually been dabbling with deconstruction, but when push came to shove, they were actually and fairly still very satisfied in their conservative, evangelical, Christian faith. And maybe even to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they did deconstruct and it led them back home. I mean, if you deconstruct in in one place, you can't impose that on anybody else. We had these liberals, the deconstructed folk. We'd had 12 years, we just barely argued, for 12 years it was halcyon days. And now all of a sudden there were these three groups and they started doing this. And I woke up professionally, David, and I thought, boy, we are in a pickle. Because these people weren't sitting over here and here and here, they were married to one another. They were sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, and they were on the board together, and they served in meal group leadership together, and Barbara, they taught Sunday school classes together, and they were our best friends. Woo! So, knowing where I was at the time, 2012, knowing where I was, and knowing where I was obviously headed theologically. It did not take a rocket scientist to extrapolate where I was going. Now, all of a sudden, the church started by the 34-year-old young man who could only honorably pastor a deconstructing congregation Now that 12 people was a couple of thousand people, and now that 34-year-old young man was a 44-year-old middle-aged man who could only honorably and honestly serve a liberal progressive Christian church, which the majority of Grace Point wasn't. And so from that dilemma was born our last five years. And this story, I don't I don't dare be presumptuous, but this story and the story that we're in and the story that we're moving even further into this story, I think, is a positional archetypical asterisk story in church history. And I think a couple of hundred years from now, what we are representing is a really important deal. We may not be large. But what is happening in this spiritual laboratory called Grace Point and in the churches like us around this country, there is something brewing here that is a part of the Protestant Reformation that started hundreds of years ago. And we have a role to play. So from that dilemma, the last five years have been the hairy and challenging and exciting and harrowing space of this transition in both the vision and mission, literally, the theological identity of this church called Grace Point. Please hear me. We are no longer who we were. We are no longer, in terms of identity, primarily a deconstruction zone for disoriented Christians. That mission to provide a safe place for those wrestling with theological disorientation and faith deconstruction, please hear me, it will always find a wing of our church dedicated to it. Any progressive liberal church worth its salt in an area like this has got to bridge to people coming out of conservative places, scared to death. We have got to dedicate a wing of our church to that process. We cannot forget that we needed so desperately a safe place, and many others will need that, and we have to provide that. People in that state will always have my heart personally, and they will always have a portion of my work and life dedicated to them. Probably the first three or four books I write will be dedicated to that group of people. But our primary vision and mission has changed. And yet, we are not starting a new church, and our name is still Grace Point. But do not be mistaken, we have done much more than turn a page, start a new chapter, or repaint some rooms. This is a big deal. We are now a progressive, liberal, post-evangelical Christian church. I don't like labels, but sometimes labels are necessary. We are a progressive, liberal, post-evangelical Christian church. Our theological vision is generally set. You say, well, I don't like it being set. Well, here's the good news there. A part of progressive theology is a continued flexibility and an openness to revision and amendment always. That's the beauty of progressive theology. But make no mistake, we have a theological identity now, and we will make calls, and we will make statements on things like God, Jesus, humanity, salvation, sexuality, and we will do it with great openness and latitude, and we will do our best to not become liberal fundamentalists, because fundamentalism and Phariseeism and narrowness is an equal opportunity, stupidity, that both conservatives and liberals fall prey to. It's a narrowness of heart that says, I'm right and you're an idiot, and we cannot fall prey to it on either side. I know some real jerks on the liberal side, and I know some real white-hearted, loving people on the conservative side. This theological change and its subsequent result of a changed mission has left us, has left us obviously not 2,000 members, obviously not with a $1.7 million budget, obviously not with 800 people on Sunday and two-pack services. But it has left us faithful, it has left us equipped, and it has left us, by my estimation, better for all of its challenges. It has left us also with most of the practical realities faced by a new church. I'll say that again. These 5 years has left us with most of the practical realities faced by a new church. We've been in this room for 6 weeks and after six hard weeks, we have just identified, Jeff Barton, raise your hand, stand up over here. Jeff and Lisa, good folks in our church, they moved here from Northern California, long time, Assembly of God people, started this journey, started reading the same people, ended up, found us like a needle in a haystack, and we're proud they found us. Four beautiful boys, Lisa singing up here on stage. Six months ago, they looked at me and said, we will never get involved in a church again. And... He's just accepted to step in and take our high school kids and minister to them. So thank Jeff for that. The 10 high school kids, 9th through 12th grade that we have. This is years after hiring youth pastors and dedicating tens of thousands of dollars to make youth wings, and it's a different place. Our journey has left us now. Our task of rebuilding, and again, rebuilding may not be the right word because we may not be putting Humpty Dumpty back together again, but our task of building this new section is almost as robust, full, and wide as if we were building from scratch. I'll say that again, the task of building out this new section of Grace Point and coming through this transition, finding our way to this new identity, leaves us in a place where the building now it's going to be almost as robust, full and white, as if we were building from scratch. Anybody here ever decided to buy an old home and remodel it? And about halfway through the process, you thought, my gosh, it would have been easier and less expensive just to build a complete new home. <laughs> That's why we thought long and hard. Does it simply need, Randy, just to be a, a wonderful 12 years that we bless and say, Let's let it be, start again. My hero, Brian McLaren, did that very thing. He led a church through the same process. One of the reasons he's my heroes is because he lived my life before me. And seven, eight years, Brian, they built out a church and then this happened and they decided, they literally did, shut it down, transfer the 501C3, move down the road four miles. But that wasn't our choice. It may be easier to build one from scratch, but, ah, the loss of character and heritage, the beauty that comes with an old home. So as, and I'll close here, we'll get out of here, I'm sure the Sunday School teachers have had enough (laughs) with our kids in this witching hour called 515-630. But as we rebuild out this new section of the Grace Point story, We've got to realize that every church has three identities, and the first two of these identities are the most important. The third one I'll talk about later, but I want to stop here and I want to pick up next week with the first two identities of a church. The first identity of a church is its theological vision. If you're going to start a restaurant, you're going to have to decide what your culinary vision is. Are we going to be a steakhouse, an Italian restaurant, a Thai restaurant, a burger joint. A restaurant is not just a restaurant, it's a type of restaurant. There's a a particular food that you want to sell, that you want to prepare and serve people. The same is true of a church. As sure as a restaurant is a purveyor of all things food, a church is a purveyor of all things God, mystery, and life. And so a church has to decide in terms of its first identity, who are we theologically? When the word God is said, what do we think? How do we feel about the major existential matters that face humans? What do we think about God and life and humanity? The first identity of a church. That's why there are Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and Presbyterians. Because there are differences in the way we see God. That's why there are Protestants and Catholics, liberals and conservatives. There's a first identity that must be developed, and that is a theological identity. And that process of developing a theological uh, identity here at Grace Point has been one of our major missions because if Grace Point has been anything in its first 14 years, it has been a player in a major transformative reformation process that is happening in the Christian church around who is God, who is Jesus, and who are we. And Jeff Clark, you know it, leading the Wild Goose, Grace Point stands. That's why you're here. It stands at a pivotal place. And and the world's not depending on us to have a thousand people or two thousand people. The world is depending on us to walk through this process faithfully, following a cloud and a pillar and not knowing sometime where we're going, but trusting. We have formed a theological identity from an evangelical background, and it's an important one. But there is a second identity that our church now depends upon, and this second identity is the identity not of what it means to be liberal or conservative, Baptist or Methodist. The second identity that is critical is every church must develop an identity as a church, as a congregational community. And I don't care if you're a Thai restaurant or a Russian restaurant, there are some things you got to do with profit margins, quality of food, recipes, marketing, inspections. There are some things that all restaurants have to do. doesn't matter what your culinary palate, you've got to do these things. And there are some things that churches have to do. And Steve Hartman at our leadership council meeting said it well the other night. If we only have the first identity, and that's a theological identity, an abstraction in theory about who we think God is and what we think life is, but we don't form the second identity and get the basics and the practicum right, the first identity is just a novelty. But in order for that novelty to become a reality we got to figure out how to take care of our kids, how to develop relationships, how to do social action, how to educate and inform, how to have great worship services, how to be fiscally responsible, how to do congregational care so when people are dying and having babies they feel like they're cared for in the body of Christ. There are seven or eight basic elements that every church has to do from Oak Hill Assembly of God to First Unity to Grace Point. It's not about conservative liberal. It's about the practical function of building out the channels and funnels through which our our theology has a chance to be proclaimed. And that is where I will pick up next week. Cut the mic, stop it, and let's get out of here. God bless you. Amen. See you next week.